Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of Library Access, a podcast brought to you by thekeyforge.com. Uh, like always, my name is Nick, and I'm here with Alex and Steven. Uh, if you'd like to show your support for what we do uh, or throw money at our faces, go ahead and head over to patreon.com slash thekeyforge. Uh, anything helps. I wanted to start off this week with a topic that I'm particularly interested in, so sorry for my bias showing. Have either of you guys played on Tabletop Simulator yet? I've tried it out once. Uh, I honestly prefer Crucible, but it's solid. It's a good way to play, especially if you don't have a lot of people around or you're looking to get in a quick game with a couple friends. Um, I personally feel Crucible is a stronger platform for online play, but Tabletop Simulator is definitely a close second. What about you, Alex? I have not. Now, Stephen, if you've tried it out, Nick, have you tried it yet, personally? I have. Uh, So I played it twice, um, and I actually, I feel like this kind of screwed it up you know, for me personally, when I first tried it, I tried it with uh, somebody that didn't know how to play Keyforge at all. Like we'd been playing Tabletop Simulator that night. I was like, hey, you want to try this out? And he was super willing and he did well at it. He picked the game up really fast, but it was like I was new to Tabletop Simulator itself and then he was new to Keyforge. So it was just, it was kind of slow, kind of messy. Um, and then the other night I picked it back up. I, uh, I found someone on Discord that wanted to play on there. And he was this Tabletop Simulator guru who had played for you know, who knows years and years on tabletop simulator playing everything, you know, everything that people play on there, I guess. Um, so he knew all the hot keys and he knew how to do this and that and the tricks. And it was, it was really interesting to kind of hear him explain stuff, um, about things that like don't really matter, I guess, like, you know, unlimited bags of items and how you have to reduce a count down to one before you put it back in the bag or it won't accept it. Like weird stuff like that. It was just interesting to kind of pick his brain. Um, but, I have a, a real, like I'm split right down the middle, a real love-hate thing with Tabletop Simulator. Um, I I think I enjoy it more than The Crucible if I have the time for it. Um, it's just, it's so much more fun. Like it really scratches your in-person itch kind of, just having like the kind of 3D cards that you throw down and your, you know, your damage counters and your amber and all that. Like you're, you're in control of every aspect of the game, whereas in The Crucible, like, you're so not in control that like your opponent's turn just scrolls by you immediately. And if you're not paying super close attention, you might lose track of what they do entirely. Um, but the, you know, the other side of that's kind of a double-edged sword is that on tabletop simulator, it takes so freaking long. Like, you know, crucible games, you're, you know, 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes and your game's done. I think we played for an hour and three minutes on one game. Granted there, you know, there was just some there was discussion happening and he was explaining mechanics of the of the program to me at the time but it i walked away just like exhausted i was like oh my gosh that was like three times as long as it needed to be um but you know that's not a fair read you know that's with one guy it's all i you know i played with my buddy the first time and then a keyforge guy the second time so you know if i were to really get into it and play with other people who have really gotten into it the game is might only take 20 minutes there um but I, I really enjoyed, you know, the potential of it all. And I, you know, I'm just, I'm constantly looking for other ways to play. And I, I say that like, there's a lot of options. There's not, you can play in person on Crucible or on Tabletop Simulator, you know, short of playing on like Skype or Discord video or something like that, which doesn't sound super great. It doesn't work very well. I've tried playing a Skype game. It's fine. It's just, it is 
as close to point in person as you can get. Um, but trying to move your camera and stuff around, it's not. There are definitely better ways to play. Right. Let me ask you a quick question, just for my edification, because I haven't tried Tabletop Simulator. Would you say that it's comparable to playing on the Crucible with manual mode turned on? Like, is that the same kind of idea for, for gameplay, or is there some automation? Um, so, the like, Tabletop Simulator itself is just a total sandbox game where, you know, you can do anything, you know, and nothing happens on its own. There's a lot of super smart people out there who have made, um, like, scripted games. A good example mm-hmm. that I can think of off the top of my head is Settlers of Catan. Uh, that's where we play Catan, and it's set up to be totally scripted, which is way better than playing in person, I feel like, because, I don't know, in person I just miss things, and, you know, you for people who aren't familiar with Catan, you'll probably be lost, and I won't waste your time explaining it, but you roll a dice and you get a six um, for, you know, every single person that you know sits on a six there they automatically get their cards handed out to them because some genius scripted that whole thing to happen that way so the game's Mm -hmm. mostly automated but you're still you know throwing your cards out and moving them around and it's you know that's still kind of like sandbox environment um keyforge it says the the mod says it's scripted but i'm not exactly sure in what way aside from like there's a handy way you can import your deck or you can uh, get a randomly generated deck. So I assume that's a scripted bit they're talking about. Um, but like card interactions aren't really a thing. You can pick your house, um, and your house is designated at the bottom of your identity card area. Um, you can click those and it say your opponent chooses, you know, this, whatever. Um, but interactions, you know, if you do attacks or things like that, they don't happen on the, on their own, which is another downside, uh, depending on how you look at it, I guess, to tabletop simulator is that you, you can't really talk without voice, which is not a downside for me because I prefer to be on voice, even on Crucible. Mm-hmm. I play on Crucible all the time without it, but it's much more enjoyable to you know to talk out your turn like you would in person, and they do the same thing. And I feel like the playing on the Crucible and playing in person are really different. Uh, and for me, it fluctuates pretty wildly. I'll either play on Crucible, I'll either pay way more attention to my turn and I'll play really well, or it'll that same kind of you know non-distraction environment will allow me to be distracted by something else, you know, whether I'm mm-hmm. listening to music or texting or something, and then I'm playing really poorly. And I can usually identify it when it happens, but by the time I see it, it's too late. Um, so playing on voice, I feel like it keeps you a little more accountable. But it also, you know, if you're into like the kind of weird psychological mind game, whatever that comes with playing card games in person, which I'm just kind of discovering for the first time, you can really kind of distract your opponent. Um, I was, I had that as like a topic idea. It didn't seem worth it to, to like really dive into. That's all I had to say about TTS. Um, But is that something you guys consider in your, in your gameplay? Um, And not to make me sound like a sociopath or anything. (laughs) Not, but, You know, more and more, like, you know, like I've said a million times, like this is my first in-person card game I've played as an adult. Um, I played online ones as an adult, like Hearthstone, and, you know, I've tried the Elder Scrolls one and stuff like that. But, um, like, Keyforge is the first one I've really played with strangers in, you know, strange environments like that. And I'm, like, more and more, you know, I went to a tournament uh, over the weekend. Might have already talked about it. I went to a tournament, and... Like it, it just kind of like dawned on me that like there's there's no there's there's few rules governing how all of this works. You know, if you were 
it's a it's a game where you have to talk, I guess, to explain your your moves and things like that. You don't get that in chess or checkers or whatever. Um, so I would imagine if you're like a chess tournament, etiquette is just like be quiet. Um, but you're you're there's no real rules dictating that. So I found myself like, you know, kind of, you know, I said I'm not a sociopath, but kind of embracing that inner sociopath and like you know, making a point to kind of like start conversation about cards they played or, you know, stuff like that, just to try to throw them off. And I was curious, is that a thing that people do? And if so, is it frowned upon? Like, am I a jerk for doing that or trying it? I mean, it depends on how you want to read it, right? Like I'm aggressively friendly when I play in person because I try and set that tone for the game because I don't want anybody to walk away from playing against me and feel like whether they won or lost, like it was a bad experience. That just might be like my own baggage that I bring to the table, so to speak. But like I do the same thing you do, but it's not coming from a place of wanting to throw people off. Like I just want to have a conversation about cards. If I've never seen the card before, or if it's a cool card or if they're using it in a cool way, I haven't seen before. I totally want to have those conversations. It's only now occurring to me talking to you, Nick, that somebody might perceive me doing that as, you know, trying to play, you know, mind games with them. So now I'm actually going to have to reconsider slightly exactly how friendly and conversational I want to be and modulate that, I guess, depending on the person that I'm playing against. I expect that it like, higher levels of play that sort of thing might be slightly discouraged if only out of general etiquette steven you've you've been like a long time card player with various games what, what's your perspective my perspective is that it really depends on the game um right now Keyforge, all tournaments have to be done at the relaxed here so having that hyper friendly attitude like i also have that same hyper friendly attitude at these tournaments uh, I, I don't mind if people take moves back. I don't mind that, you know, if they need to check my cards or read my cards. I mean, basically, just don't bridge shuffle my cards, and I'm happy you can do whatever you need to to my deck, you know. Um, but then at, I, I think it's going to be a thing definitely at the higher levels where you sit down. At the higher levels, people are expected to have a general knowledge of all the cards, and like maybe one or two like misreads or stuff like that to look at a card is fine. But play definitely will go faster at higher level tournaments. Um, but for the most part, yeah, it's it's a weird mindset because the higher in the tournament structure you go, the more quiet I, I've noticed tournaments become. Um, and I'm not sure if that's just because of the tournaments that of the games that I used to play in tournaments. Netrunner is a game where you have to be talking to your opponent the entire time. Um, I'm not sure how familiar everyone is, and I won't get into too many details because this is a Keyforge podcast, not a Netrunner podcast. But the idea of Netrunner is that you're playing two asymmetrical decks. You have a cyberpunk runner who is trying to get into the the other opponent's corporation deck, and you access cards from their deck. Um, so there's a lot of that going on in that game where you you touch a card because you need to flip it over or your opponent needs to see something to depend on if they're going to activate their countermeasures or you're pulling cards out of their hand. And that kind of a thing in etiquette is completely okay. But that also led to a lot more mind games. And that game was specifically designed for mind games. You wanted to trick your opponent. You didn't want your opponent to run your hand when you had all the points in your hand for them just to take from you. So... My experience is a little bit more swayed in that direction where I'm used to the friendly banter, 
And then when go time hits and it's serious, it becomes a little less friendly banter and more of, I need this, I need this card. I'm taking the third card from the left, you know, that kind of a thing. So I, I definitely see where the mind game aspect comes from into card games. Right now at Keyforge, I don't think there's so much of a mind game aspect. Um, you definitely can. Like, you can definitely bluff in this game. Like, if you have shadows on your house card, you bluff and you say that you have bait and switch all the time. Because it's a common card. It's a powerful card that a lot of people feel has a high impact on the game. And you are able to bluff it and just hold out your hand and be like, do you want to sit at that much, Amber? Do you think I have bait and switch right now? And some formats, you're not allowed to even look at the deck list. Like I went to a sealed tournament this last Saturday, yesterday, and I played against a couple shadow decks and I will happily say that I misplayed against them because I was I saw on their identity card, hey, there's shadows. I need to play around this card because I can't look at their deck list. I need to play around the fact that they probably have a common card. And bait and switch didn't get played on me the entire tournament. So, I mean, it it definitely has a mind game aspect when you can't see their deck. And it has a definitely different mind, mind game aspect when you can see their deck and have to start counting the cards and counting the odds of what they specifically have in there. Uh, so I, I definitely feel that mind games is a part of this game. I don't think we're at the point yet where we need to start figuring mind games as part of a general strategy, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, and I'll, I'll clarify. Um, I'm, I'm super overly nice to people also. Um, I like, that's just how I am. Like in every walk of life, I try to, I try so hard to like be conscious of how other people are feeling and like try to put people at ease, you know, customer service, especially like I'm so overly friendly and nice and you know, it, it carries into the game for sure. You know, if, if I beat somebody, I, I try like my absolute hardest to like, you know, compliment them and be like, wow, that, that was really close. That was awesome. You know, this, when you did this, that was crazy, you know, stuff like that. Um, and I'll realize that like, I, I don't do it malicious, um, like 99% of the time. There've been a couple times where I'm like, it was like toward the end of the tournament, I really wanted the win. So I, you know, I was a little tactful there, but what'll usually happen is I'll realize like, I'll be talking about a con like I'll in my turn, they'll start doing something and I'll start talking about something they did or they're doing or whatever. And I'll realize like, Oh, this is distracting. It's kind of rude. And then I'll like, I'll realize like, oh, that's okay. Like, you know, maybe I should just kind of lean into this and I don't stop myself and I usually kind of double down. Not always. Like, I'm not just a constantly a jerk, but, you know, I've, I've thought about like, it kind of dawned on me that like, you know, there's, there's nothing dictating that you have to be quiet. Like, you don't have to not talk. Like, that's... The same as not chess. No card game will ever be chess. You'll always be able to talk to your opponent and that's for good and for bad. If you want to make it good and have a friendly conversation... 10 out of 10. If you want to make it bad and start playing mind games, well, that's a prerogative, but it is it is not inherently good or bad. It's just a thing that these games are designed for a more social aspect. Definitely, definitely. I think there, an interesting point just came up, which is around the existence of cards like Bait and Switch that we've all seen now, because it's common. It's, you know, it's porridge. It's everywhere. Um, and you one thing that I had not really thought about until just this moment 
was the idea that the designers of the game made some of the swingingest cards that are available just super common. So, Gateway to Dis, uh, Bait and Switch, um, you know, Coward's End, etc. All these things that can have like enormous one card changes in the game are super common, which makes the bluffing aspect of the game a real part of gameplay. Like I've known up till this point that if I'm playing against a shadows desk deck, rather, I have to be very, very conscious of how much Amber I am stockpiling because I'm asking to have it taken away from me with a bait and switch. But at the same time, it never occurred to me. There's a possibility for somebody to actually give me the impression that they have a bait and switch, whether or not they actually have one. And that's super interesting to think about. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of do the office. Uh, I meant to mention this earlier. I do the opposite in terms of bluffing, which is still bluffing. Um, but a lot of times, like I can think back to lots of them where I'll, uh, you know, I'll draw something up and I'll, you know, I'll have two plant, two turns planned ahead. You know, I've, I can like see the, the finish line. Like I've won the game already and I'll, you know, I'll draw up to something and I'll like, you know, I'll kind of sigh. I don't do it overly dramatically, but I'll kind of sigh and say, you know, like, not what I wanted, you know, not what I needed. Uh, and then, you know, move on and do some kind of underwhelming turn. And I feel like stuff like that is it kind of, it, it's definitely bluffing um, just kind of in the opposite direction where like it puts your opponent at ease and they, you know, and they get sloppy. They think, all right, I've got this one. You, I don't need to be so tactful. You know, let me, you know, let me not worry about getting this key right now. Let me switch to a different house and just, you know, fill up the board a little bit and, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter anymore. Like he's not doing too well. I, I find myself doing that a, a fair amount. Um, but I, you know, it, it, what you said is really is interesting. Um, and I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to tie it into like the, the fact that these cards are, are, you know, quote unquote common, but you know, from a, just from a, having them appear in decks perspective, you know, every time I open decks, I you know two of the houses I I really enjoy are uh, shadows and logos. So when I pull up a deck with logos, I see if it has library access. If I pull up a deck with shadows, I see if it has bait and switch. If it doesn't, uh, for now, and I'm sure it's going to change because I'm just I'm just really now kind of starting to get into like what I want in the deck and things like that. I'm starting to like make lists of like these are combos I want in the deck. Um, if it doesn't have those, I kind of put it aside. Um, and then I look at it later. But my point was, I've have all these decks. You know, I bought another box. I've I've got you know forty decks right now, and for a, it being a common card, you know, it cards like that are, are still not super common. You know, with the way the decks made up twelve of each house, they're you know they're surprisingly you know uncommon, uh, for lack of a better word. Um, and even then, with them being you know common, uncommon, whatever they actually are. Uh, you have to have a deck that works with it. Like it, it, it would be scary and sealed because you don't know what you get. But, um, well, I, I guess I don't know which direction it would go with you know sealed versus archon there. But, um, it's you know your deck's only as good as the other cards in it. So your bait and switch is only as valuable as like every other card in it. Um, in that deck. So even you know just having shadows is is not really an indication of you know, bait and switch being present, you know, in a perfect world, it probably would be for them, but that's, you know, those, those particular cards are, are surprisingly uncommon. If that makes any sense. I know that was a big, weird rambly tangent, but no, it made it, sense. It, in it, my it, head. it does make sense. And I, I disagree with you 
on sealed format in that way because in sealed you have to expect the worst possible they have the worst possible card at every single moment like and it's something you got to think of be like what houses do they have okay well now i know i only have to count in three sevenths of the game but you have to expect on which is the worst card that they could have at any given moment and try and play around that card um and i don't think that that's a skill specifically needed in archon because you know exactly you take a look at their deck you get two minutes you can look at the cards and you can pick out the threats but or at least know what the threats might look like in sealed it's so much more of a guessing game because of that and even though yeah bait and switch is a common it's not going to be in every single deck it's more likely to be in every single deck but it's not every single deck same with arise gateway to dece um what are some other really swingy ones? What's the Logos one that whenever you reap, you steal instead? Uh, interdimensional something or other? Inter- no, Interdimensional Graft is if your opponent forges a key next turn, you get all of the leftover amber that they have. The one that you're thinking of is, uh, yeah, Dimensional Door. Yeah. Um, like, I think Dimensional Door is uncommon, though, so it's kind of bad for my example. But like <laughs> those kind of cards, like, what is the worst card that they can play? And... What is your plan if they do play the worst card that they can play? And I think that's that's definitely a skill that sealed requires a lot more than Archon. And it's not bad, it's not good, it's just the different formats and how you want to play the game. Um, I definitely see sealed as a more casual format if you don't dive super hard into the thoughts. Like, I mean, I'm I'm diving really hard into the... I'm playing competitive sealed and I'm going to want to win every single match. When I say this, I don't go into every single match and be like the same exact way. Um, I mean, if I'm, if I'm like top table at a tournament, I will be playing more with that mindset. If I'm there for fun or, you know, at a bottom table where I'm kind of already out of the running for stuff, the mindset completely changes. And I'm just like, I'm going to play cards. I'm going to see what you play. Let's have a good time. This is a great example of how profoundly different the game is sealed versus Archon. Um, Archon, I tend to assume, unless I saw the person open the deck in front of me and sleeve it up and, and you know say, I'm going to give this a go right now, which I have had a couple times and I've done a couple of times. I generally assume that a person has played with the deck before or has spent some time figuring out the deck. And therefore, every move they make is being made with the intention of enacting some kind of master plan. Um, sometimes that's, you know, archiving strategy early on. Sometimes it's board control strategy early on. Sometimes it's just cycling the deck strategy early on. Whereas, you know, uh, judging by the sealed games that I've played on the crucible, most people just like jump in and say, all right, well, you know, we'll play it as it lays, which is a fun way to play Keyforge. And certainly I, I feel in many ways, like, although it is a test of your knowledge of the game and your ability to adapt to unusual situations that you haven't found yourself in before, it really does change my mindset of what my opponent is doing and my ability to recognize what my opponent is doing. If I know they know their own deck or I suspect that they know their own deck pretty well, everything seems like it's moving towards something, you know, to get them the win as fast as possible. Uh, you know, as has been often repeated, that that's the nature of Keyforge. Like, it's a race to the end. Whereas, you know, Sealed, everybody's kind of just figuring out as they go along to a certain degree. 
I can see with Sealed that they're trying to figure it out. I mean, you get to look at your own deck, which is nice, and it allows more of an access to that. But I also, I'm not too sure about if you you can go into a Sealed game in that regard where every single card that they are that you're looking for has all the answers uh and i i definitely think that it's a more casual format in its principle but can be really competitive because of the choices and strategies and how many cards there are in the game nick when you play sealed do you look at the deck list and go okay uh here's what i'm looking for uh and here's what my general overall strategy is or are you more like on my side of just like all right let's deal out a hand and see what happens um it depends so i haven't played real sealed in person yet uh i've played kind of like a simulated sealed in person where just you know going to a monday night casual and i've got some decks that i you know have been waiting to crack open and i'll see you know the person across from me sleeving up a deck so i'll pull one out you know to keep it fair um so I've done something like that. Uh, and in the context of like a really casual kind of thing, I, you know, sometimes on Crucible I'll do this. I just won't bother. You know, like my my win-loss is not, you know, there is no win-loss on, you know, Crucible for Sealed. It doesn't matter at all. I'm not tracking it personally or anything. So sometimes I'll just screw around. Um, and it, it, it would depend more on the stakes, um, even if it's just like personal stakes where, you know, it's somebody that, there's there's a fellow that comes to my my local game store uh you know every tournament and he kind of just wipes the floor he's really great so if i were playing him in sealed i there'd be a little more pressure on me to you know see what i have and see what i should look out for and stuff like that um but no i think a lot of the point for me of sealed and it's just for me it's not you know not the point i'm not saying this point of sealed it's just that kind of complete uncertainty and it's almost more fun to, to just go in totally blind and it's just you know it's like the cards are just like popping out of thin air you know with just no no rhyme or reason to it and it it's a it's a distinctly different play style and it can be really fun if you can get your opponent to do the same thing um it would definitely not be fun if they've looked at their deck list and you haven't looked at yours um i mean it could be if you really like a challenge but there's just there's something really cool and different about you know it's it's like taking a unique deck concept and then like making it even more uncertain you know it's already pretty uncertain as it is in terms of buying it and learning it and you know you can't you know assemble your own deck but it just like it almost i'm trying to think of something to compare it to and i'm struggling just like almost like a video game style of just like complete uncertainty just poofing out of thin air you know no clue what's uh, yeah like just no clue what's going on what's what's next um Speaking of the Crucible, I have a topic idea. And before I get into that topic, I want to address something. I'm not going to touch on it for long. I'm not going to give anyone the satisfaction. Um, but if anyone has any concerns about me being overly negative, um, one, you're probably right. I'm really negative. Um, but I'll, I'll say I do it for two reasons. One, because I've, I've kind of learned like in my personal life that like having that like critical thinking has helped me do better in like literally every aspect of my life. You know, like I, I run, I run a couple different businesses. I do do nerdy stuff like that. And the fact, the reason those businesses exist is because I was critical of a, an existing service or an existing marketplace and saw that I could improve on it. And it, it's like, it's not just, you know, I'm just not just, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge. I'm not just a mean guy and just mad at the world. It's like, I I'm productively negative. 
Um, and in the, you know, that's, that's one side of it, but specifically in the context of, of Keyforge, um, one, I don't want to be really a yes man podcast. I want to be, you know, like an unbiased Keyforge podcast and like, you know, communities go down weird paths when everyone's kind of just a yes man and is too afraid to kind of challenge anything or combat anything. And if nobody's challenging or combating anything, then that's how games can kind of go the wrong way. You know, an overwhelming community might say like, hey, we don't like this or that. But if nobody's speaking up and complaining about it and, you know, especially like, you know, here I'm going to I'm going to make myself sound bigger than I am. But like if the big outlets that cover a, a game or an event or whatever it actually is, you know, apply it to any scenario, then, you know, if they're not addressing things and, you know, vocalizing kind of negative thoughts or opinions then nothing ever changes. So I, I really don't want to just be this, you know, and that's not saying I'm like purposely negative, but if I have a negative thought and, you know, and if any of the guys have negative thoughts, I, I really encourage it being like brought up and discussed as opposed to just this kind of, you know, cause it, if everybody's agreeing with each other and there's there's never any real discussion, it's just kind of like thinking thinking out thinking thoughts out loud. Everyone nods their head yes and moves on to the next one. Like that's not I don't feel like that's a fun podcast to listen to. Um, you know, it's possible that I might harp too much on on things, but anything that I am negative about, you know, like I remember the big one was like the chain thing. I was I was real kind of nasty about that. I really stand by most everything I said. Like I. You know, my opinions didn't change, and I, I I share a lot of the same opinions with other people on that. I think, um, and it was something that kind of deserved to be talked about. So I'm not pretending like I, you know, I have any voice in the community or that anyone's going to listen to me. That's that's fine, but I I don't want to go down the path of just like kind of mindlessly agreeing with with each other and not ever challenging anything and just you know everything's great, everything's butterflies and roses because you know it's the real world and people have varying opinions. So. I apologize if I do sound, if it's annoying to listen to somebody be so negative, especially if you disagree. Um, you know, there's nothing worse than listening to a podcast and having somebody say something you disagree with. And especially like with me harping on about it for 10 minutes, you know, and just like having to sit there and grit your teeth and not listening. I do apologize for that, but try to understand it comes from a place of, it, it does come from a place of positivity. You know, it, it's like, I'm, I'm a little grouchy now so that hopefully, you know, the game continues to be good and positive. I don't know. That's that's just what I want to say. That being said, the crucible is it good or bad? <laughs> oh, okay. Now I now I get why the rambling was happening. Okay. Oof. Okay. No, those are those are two separate things. I knew I wanted to address that, but that that's been on the list for a couple of weeks, and just I I have some strong opinions about it, but I'm I'm curious, and it's a it's a big open ended question. I guess I'll leave it open ended because it'll get the most interesting answers, but. You know, just with that vague question, you know, is the Crucible good or bad? What do you guys think? Let me put it out here. I think that the Crucible is incredible. It is a terrific fan-centric aspect of the game that has helped it grow and provides everybody, no matter where they live and what access they have to Keyforge in a local Keyforge community, to play Keyforge. That is absolutely worthy of praise it is a free service that was done out of the love and excitement for keyforge and nothing should ever be like i would never cast any aspersions on the crucible from that perspective that said 
I do feel that some perspectives about Key Forge are being shaped by the Crucible, and some of those things may be having negative impacts on some people's perceptions of the game. That's not necessarily the fault of the Crucible or the people who made it, who did it with the best of intentions, and have provided us all with this amazing way to play Key Forge. One of the problems that I think that there is, though, is that allowing anybody to play any deck that they want on the crucible has created scenarios where we have false perspectives on what's in the card pool and it is starting to shape people's ability to enjoy the game some people's ability to enjoy the game um for example uh, i've seen a lot of people talk on the facebook group and in other places about um certain decks always being played against them on the crucible um, some people have done the number crunching and the pulls from, I guess, via the API to actually check how many of these decks there are in existence. And it turns out that it's a very small, you know, percentage of, you know, four horsemen decks or double four horsemen decks or double time traveler decks or what have you, or infinite combo Nepenthe seed uh, library access decks. And yet there are people who believe because they've encountered it so many times on the crucible that these are major impediments to their ability to enjoy playing Keyforge, And that's something that's been shaped by the crucible, not from face to face play. I'm just going to put it out there that I have only ever encountered like one four horseman deck in person. Um, I've never encountered library access Nepenthe seed, and I've never encountered double time traveler or something else to that effect in person, but I have encountered them many times just playing uh, on the crucible. And it's one of the things that I think that we have to be ultra mindful of right now, which is the crucible is great for Keyforge. There could be some improvements to the way that the Crucible works that I think would shut down some of the things that may make Keyforge less fun to play on the Crucible. Does that make sense? Yeah, you summed up my thoughts exactly. Um, I have I have other comments about it. You know, they're not even complaints. I'm not, they don't even go in the bad category. I I wish it were mobile friendly. Um, and it's it's not super friendly, and I wish it were more. I wish there were an easier way to distinguish what your opponent does during their turns. And I get, you know, with a, a web-based implementation like this, you know, from like a developer perspective, you can't really do crazy animations. You can't do anything like that. Um, it's it's pretty bare bones and it's it's awesome for what it is. I'm, those aren't even really complaints. They're just comments. You know, I want to play Keyforge in bed. Like that's, that's my biggest, what comes to mind. Um, but I'm exactly in the same boat as you. Um, I worry, especially knowing how many people I've talked to that like, don't physically own any decks. They play exclusively on the Crucible um, or Tabletop Simulator or whatever. Um, I I really worry about them, you know, hopping into a game. You know, especially it's made even worse, you know, when they when they pick beginner because there's that group of people that prey on the beginners and just want to, you know, I don't know why their you know their 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 sense of satisfaction or you know what what triggers that is so screwed up. If not only do you want to like net deck and beat a normal person, but you want to go and net deck the people who have like labeled themselves as beginners. Like your, you know, your barometers real, real screwy. Um, but you know, my, my concern are all these people that are potentially interested in the game and they're checking it out. And then, uh, you know, they're, they're getting net decked and just stomped into the ground. And, you know, they just walk away from those couple games that take them, you know, 45 minutes each, whatever. Um, you know, maybe not, but you know, they, they've all these, 
all of the things that may be perceived as negative things about Keyforge, they get them all in one game and they just think you're like, man, that like no part of that was fun. You know, like this game's, you know, this guy has a deck that I'll never get, you know, none, I have t- four decks here. None of them are even come close to this guy's awesome deck. And they just, you know, walk away from the game forever. You know, like you said, I'll reiterate, that's no fault of the crucible, like not at all. You know, you can't fault him for that. And it's even less of his fault. Um, because there's no way to solve that from a developer perspective. Um, you know, you've, there's an API, uh, for, you know, master vault, you can pull decks, you can do things like that. There's no way to do authentication, which is what you need to do. You'd need them to log in with their master vault credentials, whatever, and verify that they, they own that deck. Um, and it's just like, there's that you literally can't do that. They don't allow that and nor will they, um, you know, and the other alternatives are just as crazy. Like, you know, um, I, I've, I've thought, sat down and thought about it a lot. And there's, there's like literally no solution. You know, you can't have them have to verify every single deck they ever want to use. Um, you know, I was thinking maybe you could do like a, a win-loss thing. Like you could publicly display a win-loss for maybe the person and or the deck. And if you see somebody with a win-loss of the deck, you know, 100 wins and two losses, you know, maybe you just walk away from it. I don't know. But then that just really... It adds a whole nother element to online play that I feel like does way more harm than good and doesn't really solve the problem. Mm-hmm. It just you know, pun- punishes you for maybe like genuinely doing well. Um, and it's, I don't know. I've, I've gone on and I've on record kind of on, you know, both on the show and on Facebook of complaining about net decking. I just, I'm, I'm not a fan of it for obvious reasons. Um, you know, when it's, when it's done maliciously, people can test all the decks they want. They can even, you know, test a really great deck to see what all the hype's about. It's the people that, you know, have learned to pilot that crazy deck and are just like, you know, it's like turning on an aimbot in Call of Duty and they just get on the Crucible just to stomp and like, I guess, say they got a win or whatever. But, you know, I've, I have I get a lot of flack for suggesting that net decking's a thing. And it's it's a really interesting dynamic that there's a lot of people out there, I don't know if you've seen them, that deny that net decking is a thing. And... It's just, it's like, it's undeniably a thing. It's, you know, just from an objective perspective, it's, it's happening. There's no way around it. Um, and it's just like, it seems like all the responses to that are so, so wrong. It's just, you know, the people will tell you like, well, why don't you just get better at piloting your decks? You know, maybe you just need to get good. It's like, you know, or they'll use some either, either like lies or like some confirmation bias to say like, you know, I've played a thousand Crucible games and I have never once encountered any of these, whatever, you know, so-called broken decks. And it's, you know, and I make the argument, it's like, I'm just like playing through every conversation I've ever had about it in my head, but I'll make the response that says, you know, the one thing I've noticed is it's, there's a real, a real difference, a real giant gap between my, my win loss in person and the decks I encounter in person and my win loss online. And they'll say, well, yeah, you know, all the good people are going to be playing online, but I would make the argument. I'm just like having a conversation with myself right now. I'm not even <laughs> no, involved no, no, anyone no, else. I'm just waiting. But Don't worry. I got a turn. My, my response to that is um, I would argue it's the opposite and that on the crucible, you've got this gigantic pool of, you know, 500 people playing at any time and you're, you're bound to have way more new, new uncertain people than, you know, and I don't know, I'm sure maybe somebody could do that math if it's available. It's probably not, but like, you know, say you have 10 people to show up to your thing, you know, and you do a sample size of 10 from the crucible, you know, 10 at your local game store, 10 on the crucible. I'd be willing to bet that the people at your local game store are more serious and are coming better equipped than like 
you know, the whatever out of 10 on the crucible that are, you know, probably people just starting out, just figuring it out. You know, not all of them. There's going to be great people on there, but it just, you know, I, I took this into another direction. Um, we can, I'll bring it back around to, you know, is the crucible good or bad? But I think that's the, you know, the most potentially damaging aspect of the crucible is that people are getting bad, um, you know, they're, they're walking away from games with a, a bad taste in their mouth and it could be detrimental to, uh, you know, to the game's future. And I, I get the solution to that, you know, not great for the crucible guy, but it's for FFG to release their own online implementation. And I understand all the reasons why they might not want to, you know, the risk of potentially cannibalizing the physical sales. But in terms of just turning people onto the game in this crucial time when everyone wants to play it, like, you know, the time is now to to put that thing out there and and you know just corn you know corner that online market go stand up there next to Hearthstone because it would um, and just like let people explore it and then you know just really shove it down their throats that they can go play it in person and you know however they do the physical versus digital implementation I don't even care at this point but I I would I would like to see that happen not just for my own selfish reasons so I can play Keyforge in bed and avoid net decking also. But so it, you know, so it doesn't potentially harm the the game itself and the community surrounding it. The Crucible is great. I'm going to preface everything that I say this with the Crucible is great. It is an absolutely fantastic, free, fan-made online service. I have thanked the developer in person, uh, not in person, but on the Crucible by itself on an opening day. Uh, and it is absolutely a fantastic thing. It is, however, a tool to play Keyforge. And the tool physically is great. It does all the automations. It is able to play the game well. It's able to make things easier for you. And I'm going to take this in a really weird turn because I'm I'm not going to say it's good or bad in any way that you're thinking about because we talked about automation and the Crucible is actually bad for the game because of automation. Everything else in the game, it's a tool. It's it's really good. The, the neck decking problem, it's the people that you play with. People are going to net deck. I think you need to be able to net deck to be able to play combos and learn about them if you want to get good at the game. That part's okay. Bad people are going to be bad and go in the beginner channel with some absolutely amazing deck and just, you know, they've piloted 100,000 times, and they're going to do that. They're going to use the tool not for good, not for bad. They're going to use the tool specifically for how they want it. And that's absolutely fine. I honestly think that the only bad thing is the automation because you don't see the rules and how they interact correctly. And somebody who's going to play online the entire time, they will have a good general knowledge of the game have a great knowledge of the decks that they're piloting because they're playing all the time on there. But they might miss some of these little interactions that an automated game won't let you see in the background. And it's kind of a weird predicament to say that that's the negative of the Crucible because I I am almost wholeheartedly agreeing with Alex in this. The Crucible is an absolutely fantastic time. It's a great tool. Thank you so much to the people who make sure that this runs. Thank you to the people who have thrown a bit of PayPal money to get some better servers. Because I do, I do hear a lot of complaints about the servers being, but nah. 
it, it's a free thing. I'm okay with it. If a server goes down on a game, it's a free. I didn't, I didn't, I lost maybe five minutes. I'm fine. Whatever. But the automation of the game, able to track its track the damage on its own, able to uh, make things automatically purge and taken out of the game, it makes in-person play sloppy. And I don't know if you guys agree with me on this, disagree with me on this, but it's definitely one of those things that being there in person and having to physically move the pieces onto the card helps instill it in your brain. It's it's almost like a pneumatic device. Having the interactions happen, you having to piece them one at a time instead of it being like this snap and everything has happened, it helps reinforce a lot of the more weirder mechanics. I would challenge your 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 kind of view on that, your thought process, in that I would bet the the crucibles playing no real role in uh, in person play in a negative way, if at all, because I would guess there's a portion of people out there who play physical keyforge and want to play physical keyforge, but there's no one to play with right now, so they get on the crucible, um, like me. And then there's people who want to play Keyforge, don't ever want to play in person, so they play on the Crucible, and they don't ever have to learn the, you know, the, the, the kind of in-person etiquette of playing. Um, and I think it's mostly broken up between them. And at worst, it acts as a learning tool because if you think about it, without the Crucible, there's still going to be the same people that want to play in person, but they're going to have literally no way to do it, and they're going to come with even less knowledge uh, than they would had they played on the Crucible. That's just my opinion, but I would I would guess that's more accurate. I'm going to throw it out here that uh, there's an interesting idea that just occurred to me from what you said, Stephen, and also from what you said, Nick, which is you get a very good basic understanding of Keyforge from playing on the Crucible, but those finer details around language are what's going to be lost. I think that's partly what you were saying. Would you say that's a fair assessment of, of your position, Stephen? Yeah, it definitely would be. Um, there are a few more pieces and, and parts to it in, in my side. The The language of cards will be lost. Um, sometimes, uh, like I had somebody who I used a card that had poison on it. I believe it was the, the Asp in, in shadows and the person didn't understand why the card immediately died and i had to explain it to him a couple times like in, in the interaction of just poison and i think bec it's because that one specifically doesn't have poison on there um go ahead and finish your point while i looked it up it may not be the asp that i'm thinking of I guess when we start to get into real deep rules questions that have required clarification from FFG, a huge number of them are about the specificity of language, the difference between must and may, the difference between, you know, simultaneous effects and how they play out depending on the way cards are worded. The fact that the order of effects is, you know, important in Keyforge because as we all know, you always do as much as possible specified on the card, which of course changes things within the game if only part of a card is is doable on a turn based on board state or state of play. So, having all of that be automated doesn't necessarily instill within the player the understanding of what that language means and how it works. 
So that's an excellent point, Stephen, I think. And it's not one that I had considered previous to you. But yeah, especially too, when I'm looking at, you know, some of these very complicated rules questions that have come up about very specific situations and the clarification comes around from, well, it's the difference between this wording versus this wording. Um, and you know, th- those can be real, you know, mind melters and, 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 uh, brain twisters when you start to try and figure them out and not having had those interactions, you know, in person while you're trying to play the game, I think perhaps could lead to, to some problems with, uh, general sloppy play. So uh, I think that's a very good point. Yeah. And, and again, like I said, I do agree with you that the crucible is absolutely fantastic except for that one minor nuance, like weird thing that I have about it. And I was also wrong. I looked it up. It's not Mantis app that I was thinking of. It's the moon cursor. Mantis app has the words uh, skirmish and elusive, but it also has the text with them. Moon cursor has just skirmish, sorry, not skirmish and elusive, skirmish poison. And moon cursor just has skirmish, comma, poison, fight, steal one. It doesn't have the the things cleared out. So that's why the the words were being lost on is because they just weren't on the card itself. But I wanted to make sure I actually got the right card. <laughs> hey, Nick, have you ever had like a rules conversation with somebody in the chat bar on on the Crucible? Um, I don't think so. I've asked a couple times, uh, you know, just I'll ask, you know, how, like, how did that just happen? Things, you know, things that I, I can't, you know, no matter how much, how far back I read in the chat, I can't figure out because there's some things and it sucks because I can't think of an example right now, but it, it, I notice that every, you know, obviously every time it pops up, um, there's some things the crucible doesn't mention in the log and I don't know exactly what it is. It's like when a card, you know, plays in, I don't, God, I wish I could remember, but I, I know for, and there's somebody out there that's going to say, ah, oh, yeah, I've noticed that too. There's a certain mechanic that the crucible does not, um, you know, write out when it happens. Um, but so uh, there to answer your question, yeah, there's a couple times where I'll personally ask you, like, how did that work? And they'll explain it to me. But nobody's really challenged anything that's happened yet. I don't have a lot of the weird things that people encounter on the Crucible. I don't have anyone, uh, you know, maybe maybe once a week I'll have somebody just concede. Um, no, maybe more than that. Um, just concede mid-game or early in the game. Um, and a lot of times I think it's because, and this is just me being kind of negative again and assuming the worst, but I think it's because they're playing a net deck and they're not set up for their combo at the beginning of the game. So they just fold and walk away. I think that's usually what happens because I don't have like an overwhelming lead on when that happens. I also don't have anyone, you know, telling me to F off in chat. Like a lot of, I, I see it a lot of times people post silly screenshots and I've been lucky enough to avoid a lot of that. I, stuff. I live on that salt. Like if, if somebody, if somebody does that to me at a game or like, you know, uh, I just crush them and they're like BG and then just automatically leaves. I'm like, yeah, this is great. I had my first salty experience, uh, yesterday and I feel like it was justified and I kept it all inside. I didn't let, you know, nobody ever knew that I was salty, but I was playing someone who, uh, I, I don't know. I guess the board state doesn't really matter. I had logo something, something he had dis something, something. Um, and I was setting myself up to play. Uh, my library access. So, you know, anyone who plays library access knows that you, you know, in a, you try to assemble a hand of, of logos just to give yourself the best oomph you can, you know, at least three, preferably, you know, four or more. Um, so I think I had four, I had library access and then, you know, the phase shift, a bunch of other crap, a bunch of other logos crap. And he played a, he was control of the week. And he said that I, 
Is Control of the Week you have to pick one or you can't Control pick Control of the Week one? is you have to pick it. Uh, Resistance okay. is the he one had you me pick. pick. Okay, well, Control of the Week, he had me pick, you know, one of my other ones, Brobnar or something like that. So I played my bro- my one Brobnar card and drew into something else, whatever. And then he played uh, Restringuntus and he picked Logos. I was like, oh, that sucks. Okay. So I don't think I had anything on the board. I had one artifact down, a, a an artifact that let me, it was a Sanctum artifact. I could reap it and I could return one of their artifacts to their hand. Didn't help me, whatever. So, you know, first turn I picked, uh, I think, Brobnar. I played a, you know, a Brobnar action that did nothing. Uh, and then I drew a Logos card. And then he picked his turn, whatever. And he had played Restr- uh, Restring and picked Logos. So I could not pick Logos. Um, so I played my Brobnar card, whatever, and a turn drew into Logos. Then the next turn I played Sanctum. You know, I played a Sanctum action that didn't do anything. Um, and then I drew into a Logos card. And it was like, you know, the fourth, fifth turn in the game, nobody had any amber, no one had any keys, nothing, uh, and the game was over. Like, I, I had a handful of six Logos cards. He had, you know, I had one artifact on the field that didn't do anything. You know, it removed his discard, and his his dis, uh, artifact was, you may use, a, you know, a creature this turn or something like that. It was useless. It didn't matter. Uh, and the game was over. And I was so fucking mad, not that I lost because I was playing a new deck that I didn't really care about. You know, I'm just like going through all these new new decks, seeing check charting their win loss. But I was upset at the, that I was locked out and not just locked out, but I was locked out so early in the game. And that seemed kind of like a like a you know broken scenario that was was unlikely, but more possible than, you know, the people in the thread. I posted a screenshot of in the thread, just kind of a silly one, just like, you know, totally locked out. I didn't really assign any anything to it. I just let people, you know, go wild with the conversation. And the majority of the people were like, yeah, that's the point of the game. Like, you know, get better, whatever. You shouldn't have let that happen. Like, kind of like blaming me, which seems strange. Um, but anyway, my whole point in all this was I was very salty about it. He asked at one point, like, do you only have logos? And I said, yep. And he didn't say anything else. And he ran through, you know, the rest of the game, just turn after turn. And then uh, I... At the end of the game, I had typed up a response to a question I was waiting for him to ask. I was waiting for him to say GG, and I was I had it like ready to hit enter. It was going to say was it, and that was like that was the most salty I was willing to get with it because I was just I was just mad at like I wasn't mad that I lost. I was just mad at the way I lost, and I was really hoping that guy wasn't going to like you know puff his chest up and just be like oh yes good win on my part because um, it just seemed really cheap, but. That was the that was the closest I've gotten to being salty, and I like I I didn't let it get out. Let me ask you guys this: um, from an etiquette perspective, we all know that when you load into the server on the Crucible, you have the opportunity to click on your opponent's deck and have a look at what they have in it. Do you think it is bad form to, if you see that it looks like something that has a lot of uh, OP nature in it, like it's a double horseman or it's a double time traveler or it has that Restringuntus uh, combo in it or Nepenthe Seed Library access, do you think it is bad form to quit at that point before the game has started? 100%. Um, yeah, I mean... 
I'll, I'll expand on it in kind of a like a with a different question or a more broad question that's not super specific. I I don't think I've ever I haven't ever conceded a game that early. I think you know probably a couple times very end of the game like I know there's no way you know I'll it's because I I learned it in Hearthstone and it's like it's frowned upon for whatever reason in Keyforge, um, which is weird because it's not frowned upon in person. If you know you're going to lose, you know your opponent says you know that's game, and then you know they shake. Um, it's for whatever reason, it's just been a, like you're you're not supposed to ever concede on the crucible, which is strange, especially with how long the games are. I've done it a couple times, but um, more often than you know, I concede. I I will recognize that I'm going to lose pretty immediately, um, you know. And it, it goes back to the net decking discussion that I'm not going to rehash and keep talking about. You know, sorry that I keep doing it, but um, you know, I people say you know net decking is not a thing, whatever. It's like if you play on crucible enough you get really good at recognizing, you know, like a, a surprisingly good deck or a deck that somebody brought because it's broken. You know, first turn they do this, that, and the other, and, you know, it just becomes so overwhelmingly obvious that, you know, they found the most broken deck they can that generates a made amber in their second turn and this and that. And, um, you know, I don't leave when that happens, but I recognize it and it bums me out. And it's like, you know, it bums me out because, like, I'm going to waste my time. I'm going to get a loss. And uh, when I'm playing on Crucible, uh, pretty exclusively, I don't play my good decks on Crucible, which is also, which is my own fault and my own problem. If I were playing my best deck that wins, like, almost all the time, I probably wouldn't mind net deckers and I probably wouldn't even recognize them. But when I'm playing a deck that I can look at the list, I can tell it's good and it, you know, it, like, really stomped its first couple of games and then it just gets slammed. It's a, uh, it's frustrating because I'm, I'm taking this spreadsheet, you know, I've got 40 decks here. I'm playing every one of them to figure out what's good and what's bad, you know, what I can get rid of so I can narrow it down to, you know, 10 good decks so I can play, you know, the different formats that require me to bring multiple and stuff like that. Um, but I've got these decks that have, you know, zero wins, zero losses, and I'm playing the first game with them. You know, if I, if I lose that match, you know, and assuming that I'm losing to a net decker, which isn't always the case, but assuming I lose to that, that's a, you know, I've, I've got a 0% win ratio. And then when I, you know, if I win one, it's at 50%. But say, it's just like, you know, the bigger the pool is, the more I play, you know, the the less damaging that loss is. But in the context of me having 40 decks, a Keyforge game taking 30 minutes, 40 minutes each, it's hard to play each of them. And to to lose like that when it's, I don't know that that loss. Like even though I I struggle, and I think there's only been one that I've known it was an, it was like a double horseman or something. Uh, I left that off my sheet. I was like, I'm this is the first game I play with this deck. I'm not counting it as a loss. That's BS. But you know, literally every other time, I just kind of you know I have the same battle in my head. Like, do I add this? No. Yeah, I better. And then I add it, and you know it's fine. But like, it's it's really really sucky. It's really tricky. When you're you're testing all these decks and you're you know you're playing them like almost not for fun, just like to just to get over the hurdle of seeing what's good and bad, so then you can have fun, and you're just getting screwed along the way. And I realize right now that doesn't have anything to do with the question you asked, so I apologize. I I could bring it back to it, but I I don't even have an answer that like ties into that. It's like you know I I don't even avoid that by you know, conceding because the, one of the reasons I don't concede, you know, I'll try to bring it back around. One of the reasons I don't concede is because uh Keyforge is so wacky in that your opponent can have two keys and you can have none and you can still win. 
you know, games turn around really fast. It's kind of like Mario Kart, you know, I, we talked about this before Mario Kart, you know, where your, your position until that very last round or, you know, yeah, for, for very last circle around the track, uh, is irrelevant. It's the, it's kind of the last home stretch where like, you know, real wild shit happens and it's your, you know, your being in second place is not an indication of you winning or losing that game. So I, I don't concede for that reason, but I, I recognize times when I would want to concede and it bums me out for a number of reasons, but no, I try to be a good mm-hmm. sport about mm-hmm. it and play it out. Uh, Steven, let me make a guess around what your perspective on this might be just to see if I understand like your, your gameplay. We've had a lot of conversations here about Keyforge and about gameplay. I think I know a little bit about the way that you approach the game. I see you as the kind of gamesman who, even if you load into a game and know for a fact that your opponent has brought like TNT to a gunfight, you still want to go up against him to see if you, through your own skill and your ability to pilot your deck that you have chosen, you can take out King Kong. Is that the case? Man, I hate when you're right, but you're 100% right. I was about <laughs> to say that I actually I beat a double horseman net deck the other day with one of my random crazy decks. I have a deck that's... Uh, I actually pulled out while, while you were talking because I was going to bring it up anyway. Uh, it's just got some crazy, like, not super insane cards, but it's got two Lost in the Woods, it's got a Key Charge, um, it's got Witch of the Eye to bring a couple things back, two Silver Tooths, a Bait and Switch, four Ghostly Hands, which is just eight Amber on free cards, um, it's Brobnar Shadows and Untamed, and I, I definitely think that my opponent misplayed, because they didn't really do anything except put down six seven eight horsemen and just call sanctum for a while and they didn't progress the board state they were just gaining the amber and i was just lost in the woods please send those send those horsemen send the horsemen back to your hand not death death can stay on the field he doesn't do anything but and i it was two it was two three on keys Uh, i'm not gonna say like oh i won this wholeheartedly haha no it was a it was definitely a struggle but I just ran up upon somebody with a crazy double horseman deck, and I'm like, all right, let's do it. What's going to happen? Where's the thing that's going to happen? I'll lose. Okay, cool. Best thing that's going to happen, I'm going to see how this deck plays, and I'll still lose. And, you know, I eked out a win. I'm okay with that. Like I said, I don't... I can't say that it was through 100% my skill, because I very much feel that they tunnel visioned on, I have horsemen. Reap, 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 reap. Um, but yeah, I, I think they were actually expecting to concede and I, I don't know if that's a game plan right now. Now that you guys brought this up, I, that might be a legitimate game plan because I do know for a fact that wins and losses are tracked on crucible on the back end. Um, they've said they're never going to make them public unless everyone like has an outpouring for it, but the, the, the win loss concede ratio is being tracked on the back end. It's there for, them to be able to make adjustments to the the crucible itself um it's not there for any like we're gonna look at your win record and you know be like this guy's the best or this guy's the worst. they're not gonna do anything with that it's just to make sure and see how things are averaging out but i don't care about my win loss on crucible um because i i test so many different decks and you know i just i play like i explained earlier i play kind of haphazardly whatever 
Um, but what I would really, really, really love is for either 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 just leave it up to the player and make their opponents concede number public or you know really go super hard which in on terms of their back end and pairings and stuff like that and like you know find ways to like categorize people like they did on xbox live back in the day like if you were a nice player or a mean player uh you know if you were foul-mouthed and shitty all the time then you got bumped into like I forget what they were called on Xbox Live, like the underground, something like that. You like only got paired with people that were all just as shitty as you. Um, it'd be nice if they paired people who conceded all the time with other people that conceded all the time. And that is some Jean-Paul Sartre, hell is other people, you know, no exit shit. Yeah, right there. I'm, I'm not a fan of that because I concede all the time. But that's because I like like you said, like it's I know I've lost. I There's nothing I can do. Like two turns out like I'll have the concede button. But again, I, I'm used to I'm used to games where knowing knowing when you're defeated is a is a just as good a skill as any other skill in the game. And then I've been in card games where like bring it right back to Nutrunner, your last turn, your your opponent's gonna win. You you know it. And it's very telegraphed in that game. You make one last run. You make one last ditch effort to look at the top card of their deck or a single card in their hand to try and pull that grasp of victory. Keyforge doesn't really have that grasp of victory kind of mechanic. Um, it, it's why a lot of the, a lot of, at least in my meta, we have, I've got about three or four Netrunner players. So I used to play with all the time. They have like two or three Keyforge decks and they show up once in a blue moon. It, it doesn't have that explosive finish for them. Um, but, and that's not, again, it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's just a different thing about this game. It, you know when you lost. You know, you have you can see the cards in hand. You can see they've got eight amber. I can capture one amber. I can steal an amber, but that still leaves them at sick. There's nothing I can do. GG, have a good game. Hit the concede button. You know, it, don't don't be a jerk about it. You know, type GG before you concede. So, you know, that's it's a amicable thing. But yeah, I I don't think the I don't think the, the concede number should be public. And I also don't think the disconnect number should be public until they have like a rock solid server. When the server comes rock solid and some of the things that have been plaguing Crucible's back end start to, you know, get fixed and stuff like that. Like, I, I definitely think that then the disconnect number should be shown. And I think that's a better way of showing that. Um, but again, this is this is me feeling entitled and asking for things I don't deserve. Because this is a free online thing made by fans that fans are loving, and it's absolutely fantastic. Okay, uh, you know, speaking of good decks and bad decks, I have one more topic I want to discuss, um, and it's kind of a tricky one. Uh, when do you personally decide if you're if a deck is good or bad? You know, not not necessarily in like sealed, whatever, but just like you went out and bought a deck, you're sitting down with it to play it to get a feel for it, see if it'll replace your your number one. Like how? How how do you decide that, and how how quickly do you give up on it? You know, is there do you attach a number to it? Is there you have some sort of system? Do you are you especially generous in waiting for a deck to you know for you to learn a deck that may you know say you you know I'll, I guess I'll give my example and I'll let you guys answer. I'll play a deck five times on my little spreadsheet, and I'll from there on I'll decide do I want to keep playing it? Do I just want to get rid of it? You know, what do I do from there? And most of the time I can decide right from there. There's usually an overwhelming response. It's either just like one overwhelmingly or lost overwhelmingly, you know, give or take one. Um, but I, there, there's times where I'll, I'll see, 
you know, I'll, I have a note section on it. I'll do, you know, I have this big spreadsheet. It's got, you know, names, uh, games played, win, loss, uh, win, loss percentage. Uh, then I do, you know, the ADHD, whatever. Then I have, uh, you know, creatures, upgrades, artifacts, um, all that stuff. Uh, and then I have a note section. And a lot of times I'll, I'll see a deck that like, I have one in there right now. I think I've played, uh, let me pull it up. I've played four games with it. It's one, one and it's lost three, but the notes are, uh, you know, on, it says, you know, like lots of potential question mark, you know, potentially I'll like, I'll add a new note every time I play it, like lots of potential, uh, really great deck, really great potential, you know, these combos, um, but it's lost overwhelmingly. It's lost, you know, it's won 25% of the time. It's lost 75% of the time. Um, but I haven't given up on it yet because I think it's a deck that this one in particular, like I won't be able to stand on just the cards in it. It'll re rely on me like piloting it as best as possible. But I've broken my own rule of, you know, five wins losses and I'm going to keep playing it until I'm for sure. Because I think it's, I think the deck still has potential. Do you do you guys have any sort of like system, or do you just play it by ear? I do, do you, not do think that? that there is a bad deck in this entire game. Whoa! I, I know. I'm I'm gonna go out and go crazy. And I've called decks bad on the show before. Uh, exactly. Last time, I I literally called the deck bad and then sold it because somebody in the comments wanted it. Thank you, by the way, for buying that deck. I hate it. Um, I hate the deck. I don't think that there is a legitimately bad deck and there's two reasons for it the first is a very very simple reason everyone has their own play style of what they enjoy and it's it's the same thing in magic it's the same thing in hearthstone there you you pick a class and you love playing the hunter because they, they can do aggro you like playing magic because blue is all about control and you're able to keep the field down i think that the decks in Keyforge are built in such a way, even though they are random by chance, that there will be a deck that I will absolutely hate. I will pick it up and I will play it like two, three, four times because I'm going to give every deck a fair shake. Um, I'm going to try it and I just, I cannot play it. There is somebody in my meta who has a very different description of what decks they enjoy. They absolutely hate Logos. They absolutely hate Mars. I get all their Mars Logos decks. They get a lot of my Brobnar decks because I'm not a very good Brobnar player. And it works out for us. And a deck that I feel is absolute garbage that will never win a game in my hands except for some utterly crazy luck or me getting the exact right cards at the exact right time, that's a bad deck to me. And the mm -hmm. second opinion that I have of this, and it is a completely different tangent, is that I have this very strong feeling that the... 90% of the decks in Keyforge at base, like in each deck in its own vacuum, 90% of the decks in this game are around the standard bell curve of average. There'll be some that are going to be above average. There'll be some that are going to be below average. I think 5% of the decks are going to be absolutely crazy. And 5% of the decks are going to be actual terrible, like synergies that don't work with each other or actively harm you. I think that the the grand majority of the cards are around a 90% of the cards are within the standard deviation of a bell curve. Again, in a vacuum, without having player bias or player personality involving the deck or piloting skill. Um, and again, this is a theory. I have no actual way of testing that. This is just how I strongly believe. 
However, there is one saving grace for that 50, or for, yeah, for the 50, for the 5% of decks that are the absolute worst of the worst, complete and utter garbage, and I have one of these coming up in a month, it's called Reversal. I think that format is what saves bad decks, because in that, every deck is a great deck as long as it's terrible. <laughs> um... Interesting that you would bring this up, Nick, because I bought a deck this week that I cannot win a game with, and now I'm obsessed with trying to win a game with it. Uh, Logos Mars Shadows, it's called Boss H Peak Toes, which is, um, you know, once again, a weird name uh, in the classic Keyforge style. But uh, I just, there's nothing on paper about this deck that is bad it looks pretty average it's got some interesting stuff in it it's got like two psychic networks which should with the right layout of creatures really be advantageous it's got a couple of shadow selves in there which should really help buff up your shadows um and but for some reason every time i play with it i just get stomped i played a game with it before we started recording today to see if i could get it to work and i lost the game with literally no keys forged no amber zero what's the name of that deck again Boss H Peak Toes. Um, so the the possibilities here are are twofold, or threefold, I guess. One, I'm terrible at Keyforge. I would not discount that as being the reason why I can't squeak out a win with this deck. Two, I've played against uh, an unusually good spread of decks with this particular deck, and that's the reason that I can't squeak out a win. Or three. There's just no synergy in it. There's no efficiency in it. And that's why, even though it has good cards, there's no possibility to win against even a relatively competently piloted competitive deck or slightly above average or even average deck. And I'm kind of in love with the idea of trying to figure out which of those three it is or what combination of those three it is. So I am giving Boss H Peak Toes all the time in the world. I'm playing it every single day. I've probably got in like 10 games with it in like the three or four days since that I bought it just because I really want to understand what it is about this deck, which on paper looks totally fine. That makes it not able for me to win a game with. So I'm giving it lots of time. And I guess the answer to your question, Nick, is if if there's some intriguing aspect of a bad deck or a non-competitive deck, it makes me want to play it more because I just want to see what I can do with it. And when I win a game with this deck or with one of my other bad decks, it is the best feeling in the entire world because you are able to make something out of nothing. You you know, yeah, there's an expression in pro wrestling, which is, uh, you you know, you make chicken salad out of chicken shit. And I, I, I want to do that with decks. I think that that's a fun aspect of Keyforge. I'm looking at your deck right now. I want your deck. Like, like <laughs> this is my play style. Um, I mean, uh, again, we were talking about how Shadows needs a bait and switch. There's no bait and switch in this deck, but I'm not seeing how you lose. I'm personally not seeing how you lose with this deck, and I'm gonna. Well, I'm just not very good I, at Keyforge, I, Stephen. <laughs> like, to keep I'm that gonna, in mind. I'm gonna do the Cardinal Sin apparently and net deck this. Uh, I'm I'm gonna put this on my Crucible. I'm gonna try this out because I this thing looks great. Like, and I get what you're saying that it looks good on paper, and you agree with me on that. But I, I want to see I, I want to see where your problem is with this deck, because like I look at this deck and I'm like, I'm like grinning at the teeth. I'm like ready to go into a crucible game. I'll re-record while I play this thing. 
like this 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 deck seems to me absolutely up my alley absolutely fast fantastic i know exactly how i want to pilot it because i've these are the house factions i'm real good at so i know what those cards do and how they interact with each other um and again i mean if you do the exact same thing and you send me something that's like brobnar dis something that i'm not super familiar with like i i think i would have a like with an equal amount of the cards like in that in that same idea i think i have a completely opposite reaction to it you're like here's this terrible deck that's brob dice and uh something and it'll say untamed even though i love untamed I, I would look at the deck and be like oh yeah no that's garbage i agree with you and, and i think that's a really neat facet of keyforge in itself is that and, and again why i'm defending my position here i don't think there's a bad deck in this game and if there is there's a format where it shines and it becomes the best deck possible hmm that's that's an interesting perspective and one for another time because we've run out of time here. Um, but I would like to talk about that in detail next episode. Um, are there good decks? Are there bad decks? Or is it an even playing field? Because uh, I think that's a topic on everyone's mind that we can we can really kind of tap into and dissect. Why don't we open this up to the comments as well for YouTube? If you guys are on YouTube watching this or if you're on any of your podcast listening things check out our, our youtube real fast and drop a comment and if you guys want to comment about whether there's a good deck or a bad deck i'll happily take your comments and read them on air and agree disagree i think we can all like as a as a community with this podcast be able to dissect this question because if we're going back to it next week i'd love to see a lot more feedback and have some definite more than just the three of us for a sample size yeah, yeah, that would definitely provide some interesting perspective to bring up uh, next episode. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, some parting notes, like always. Don't forget to check out thekeyforge.com. Uh, over the past couple weeks and, you know, carrying all the way through this year, we've got a constant stream of interesting and exciting articles that uh, people actually seem to be pretty interested in. Um, give them a read, leave some comments, start some discussion. Um there's actually a surprising amount of people there in the comment section that are willing to, you know, go to bat, go to bat on their uh, particular opinions, um, in you know, in the nicest way possible. It's uh, it's an interesting community kind of spawning around it on our site. Um, if you enjoy the show and what we do at thekeyforge.com or on Library Access or anywhere and everywhere else we are, you can check out our Patreon. It's Patreon.com/slash/thekeyforge. Uh, any contribution really helps you know especially because we run these tournaments on uh, tuesdays and we give away cool physical prizes uh, and those cost money so um if you feel so inclined um drop a dollar in our tip jar uh but if not no problem thank you guys for listening and we will see you next week